0: I'm Osvaldo Alonso and you're listening to the sound of the Loom podcast.
1: afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm here with calum williams now minnesota united is playoff bound no matter what happens on sunday so it's not as if this is the end of sound of the loons for the season but it is the final sound of the loons of the regular season and i wanted to say cal that this is generally the most enjoyable 36 to 44 minutes of my week <laughs> uh, and i say that as the father of two young children which as everyone knows is the most rewarding thing that can possibly happen to you in your life. Um, but this beats it out. Uh, well, I, I, I'm almost speechless. So I don't know what to say there, the, the, You, the, you the, caught me off guard. I basically showed up at your door with the signs, like, the dude in love, actually. Absolutely. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How funny is that? I was literally thinking the exact same thing. Cal, to me, you are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: he what's ma- the next line? I will love you until I mean, you're old and yeah, dusty I mean, or something, and you look yeah. like this, and it's a skeleton.
1: Yes. Uh, and you bring me tea. Which helps. I,
0: well, a, a cup of tea in the afternoon is never a bad thing. Mm. So I, I, just always
1: assume now that you would like a cup of tea. Exactly, so. it's perfect. Okay, let's talk about. Let's get. Okay, we're done with the sentimental stuff. Um, <laughs> Cal, we're heading to se- Seattle this weekend. Yes. What are your feelings on grunge music? Um, is it out of your range as possibly, a young person? Possibly, I would say. Because so. you, I know Oasis is a hugely formative band for you, and Oasis mm. is sort of like a couple years past grunge, right? So you were. Tell me when you're born. I don't want to know. (laughs) Well, when do you think I was born? Um, Let's see. Let's see. You just turned 30, right? Correct. Okay. So, so 89? 89, correct. Okay. Yeah, so you were a little young for grunge. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was old. <laughs> um. Anyways, Seattle. I'm really excited to go to Seattle. I, I'm I'm going with the team, and I've been to Seattle a couple times, and I do feel this kinship uh, to the city because it did grunge meant a tremendous amount to me when I was in in, in high school. I sort of. Um, was into music and sort of alternative music um, circa ninth grade or so is, was where I was when, when grunge happened. Um, and so I was, uh, I was into living color. Uh, I was a a, a, a popular man at the time, cult of personality, et cetera. In excess was uh, popular. I still enjoy in excess. And then I was watching like 120 minutes and stuff. And I distinctly remember I didn't see. I wasn't up. Uh, I used to. <laughs> Here is what I used to do: record one hundred and twenty minutes, which, which was on Sundays on MTV from midnight to two AM, and I would uh, I would set my VCR to record it, and then I would go to school on Monday, and then on Monday afternoon I would come home and I would watch one hundred and twenty minutes. So wow. that's that. This is this is my ritual for it, and I don't think that I so I didn't see live the premiere of Smells Like Teen Spirit, the Nirvana song, but I was very close to seeing that premiere. Wow, and um. And I just remember it was like a jolt. I mean, it was just, and it's one of those things where now you go back and you listen to the music and I feel like now I see less of a distinction between a lot of grunge stuff. And, and I mean, it was very different than hair metal, but I think I used to just draw these distinctions a lot more sharply. Like to me, Guns N' Roses was metal. And uh, I didn't see the sort of the hard rock, how much classic rock they were bringing in and all this stuff like that. It's, it's not, in some ways it's, it's, it's got its own anti-authoritarian spirit, but it was just, Nirvana just sounded like something from another world. And it was amazing. And I got really into Pearl Jam. That got me into playing guitar, sort of set me down the path of being a musician. So uh, yeah, I owe a tremendous debt to Seattle and grunge music. So I'm, I'm looking for, I, there's a, an exhibit at the Museum of Pop Culture that's there now, which is like Pearl Jam memorabilia. So I'm going to try to sneak away one day and get over there and check it out.
0: Absolutely. So before you take a slip of your tea, um, what's hair metal?
1: What's hair metal? Yeah. Um, hair metal is, uh, I think, Poison embodies it, perhaps. Uh, the band Poison. Um, Motley Crue... Molly Crew's a little bit into that camp, or maybe a little harder than that. Essentially, it was like it was all the metal rat. Uh, it was all the metal where the the hair was very large, and there was sort of it was sort of an outgrowth of of glam. Okay. Um, like if you think of glam as sort of David Bowie and T Rex from the seventies, and the sort of I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, I, I like that stuff. And then it was sort of taking the sort of visual element of glam and pairing it with. Uh, sort of sp- spiky guitars and 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 sort of t- extremely tight leather pants and oh. um, there's sort of a makeup element to it. Some of it is fun, some of it's just kind of boring, but. Um, yeah, hair metal was sort of like a plague, uh, and then grunge came to sort of sweep it away. At least this is how it felt. Okay. I'm not sure it's as true as it was at the time when I was 15, but when I was 15, it really felt that way. Well, so. it, it
0: sounds invigorating, and I, <laughs> and I you know, check it out. All I'm imagining right now Def is. Deaf Leopard? Sort
1: of, Def Leopard a oh, little yes, bit. yes. Like, okay. Deaf Leopard's maybe a little higher quality than, okay. you know, I mean, Poison had the tunes. So I like Every Rose Has Its Thorn, but.
0: Well, I'm, I'm just imagining David Bowie sort of
1: jamming with Slipknot. That's sort of what I'm... Yeah, I no. mean, hair metal, hair metal had very little hardness to it, despite it being sort of metal. I mean, okay. it's kind of the thing. Like, it was kind of eviscerated. Like, you think of Metallica as, like, that's serious metal. Okay. Megadeth, stuff like that. Hair metal was, like, the light, it was, like, the pop version of that kind of, so... Well, I mean... It's pretty whack. Don't look into it. I wouldn't recommend (laughs) it, you know. Okay, well, I I won't. I I
0: was going to say, um, (laughs) Seattle has obviously given a lot of people a a lot of influence in their lives, and... um, Music, certainly one of them. I owe Seattle a lot because obviously that's where Starbucks comes from and sure. Starbucks prevents me from, as you said last week, from dragging ass. Yeah, there you go. Um, so.
1: <laughs> the so. coffee is incredible in Seattle. That oh, is, yeah, it is, I yeah. mean, it was, uh, I remember the first time I went there was probably in the early 2000s and I remember it was before, I mean, Starbucks was everywhere, but the idea of good coffee everywhere beyond Starbucks wasn't around as much, like sort of rampant cafes. This is before you had wireless internet. <laughs> you, you used to have to go to places that had computers for you to use that were cafes or like they had ethernet cables for you yeah. to plug into, which is ridiculous. Um, so it was before all that. And I just remember going into every, it was like going to, to Italy and eating pasta. It was like every place you went was just the best. I was like, this coffee is amazing. Like yeah. every coffee place I went to. So I still have a mug from Victrola, which is a great coffee place in, on Capitol Hill. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm looking for, it's been a while since I've been been back to Seattle. So that should be fun. All right, let's talk soccer because we've got actual meaningful soccer. We do. I talked to Mason uh, Toy last week and a little bit about just what was the to compare the feeling of the end of the season last year versus the end of the season this year. And you just sort of saw that. I mean, it's always fun when you can get a guy to sort of get out of his, I'm giving you the rote answer of sports guy, which is what happens. I mean, it's their job, right? It's like, they say things about focus and playing as a team and we wanted this one and we need to keep together. You know, they just say the same stuff, right? And I asked him that question, he sort of had that like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that like, man, last year it was just like, got some guys were playing for contracts. Some guys were already like basically on vacation. Sure. Uh, some guys just, you know, it was like, that was it. Um, it. It's really hard to keep a team together as it comes down to the end and there's nothing to play for. And so it just couldn't be, couldn't be more different uh, this time around. Let's talk about the draw with LAFC, uh, which Again, you know, I mean, different players are going to and, and coaches are going to pitch it in a different way. Uh, I think Adrian Heath has said it's a mark of how far the team has come to look at a result against the supporter Shield winners uh, it, and get a draw and find it a little disappointing.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, uh, essentially a, a team at the peak of the conference – of the league arguably um, with the finest player that MLS has seen this year at their disposal as well so um, who I thought Minnesota did ever so well in restricting I um, was having this conversation on our broadcast preview podcast which you can also find on mnufc.com um, and I was very impressed with the two centre-halves of Minnesota United whose partnership continues to grow strength by strength every week um, Carlos Vela as an actual centre forward, I'm not entirely convinced works, because he doesn't get as much of the ball as he would do when he plays in this almost free role. Um, and I say in inverted commas wide player because he's not a wide player; he's almost like a ten and a half, which I know is a phrase we've used before. But sure. but that's becoming, I would argue, more and more common uh, in today's uh, today's modern day game. Sure, yeah. fewer pure tens. Um, I still think there's a lot of pure tens, but the the ten and a half when you've got the almost like inverted wingers, yeah, are, are becoming a lot more common. Yeah. Um, you, you saw them, you saw them maybe in in two or three teams around whatever league you were watching uh, over the course of the last sort of ten years. But now it seems to be more common than ever. Mm-hmm. And and when you've got players like Carlos Vela who can do it and do it as well as he does, why not just let them go and play it now? Adama Diamande is suspended by LAFC, so he's unavailable. Obviously they traded Christian Ramirez to Houston Dynamo. Um, I I'm I think I might have said this on this podcast actually last uh, last week. I would have gone for Diego Rossi as a centre forwards. Sure. Um because Carlos Vela several times, we saw him drop back deep because he was looking for the ball. He was frustrated, he didn't have the very ball. Very deep,
1: very deep. Yeah.
0: Um and, and that obviously works in, in Minnesota's favour. And I know he scored a, a great goal a glorious goal we're gonna talk about that goal um but apart from that he had the ball on the edge of the box a couple of times but apart from that I don't remember saying his name a lot during the course of the commentary so I thought Minnesota restricted him very well the free kick that Minnesota scored was taken very well as well um very good run by Michael Boxall. Talking about that as well. Intelligent to do what he did. You like you give me
1: like the trailer, the movie trailer of like <laughs> our whole conversation <laughs> here. It's great. You're just hitting the high point. So
0: it's great. It was a good point for Minnesota United, and it's important to get that momentum going heading into the postseason.
1: Yes. Okay. Let's. Uh, you touched on a couple of things that I want to get to, and I thought about skipping around, but I'm just going to go back to the top of my notes here. Um, go back to Mason Toy. It has some truly wonderful moments this season. I mean, some, mm-hmm. some beautiful goals, his play against LAFC in the last game was tremendous. Um, his touches look terrific. His, his movement has been great, really shown his growth as a player uh, overall. Um, do you, uh, you know, I've sort of thought though, that, you know, it's not yet time to make him the every game starter. And I think, no that, I think that you saw that a little bit in the last game that, you know, he's had the, he's had a great run of form um, and, and and he was not successful against LAFC in this game. And Angela Rodriguez came in and made an immediate impact. Like it's just his, his gameplay was terrific. He missed a couple excellent chances that you got to figure it, if he had just been in form a little more, you know, like if he had just, he has not gotten onto the field in a couple of weeks. Like if he had seen that more, he probably would have finished more than he would, would have finished one of those. Um, do you think, how much of that do you think was, Do you think LAFC game-planned a little more for Mason Toy based on his success against them last time? Did they try to, like, frustrate some of that stuff? And then Angelo just presents sort of the opposite look in a lot of ways from Mason Toy? Yeah, possibly. That's a good way to
0: look at it, Steve. And and I think, um, you know, they they obviously planned for... um, to deal with Darwin Quintero as well. Um, I think um, what I admire about LAFC and Bob Bradley is they still came to play as well. They don't care if... It's away from home against a team that's second in the West. They're still going to play the way they want to play, and I I really admire that. Um, But what I'll say about Angelo is you're right. He obviously had an instant impact once he came on because he gave the opportunity for for players to play off of him and to run off of him as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it instantly made an impact. The issue with Angelo right now is that he's not sharp because he's not played a lot of football recently, as you mentioned. Right. What I will say... as well is and I'm in the fortunate position you and I are in the fortunate position to watch training a lot he's not been great in training either
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um his sharpness isn't there I'm not entirely convinced he's fully 90 minutes fit at the moment and that's his own problem he has to deal with that himself because we're into the season why on earth aren't you fit yeah it's not you know you've had a little niggle here and there but it's not like you've been injured and out for a couple of weeks where you've got to regain your fitness um I don't think I saw him sprint much at all in training. It's it's not it's not been a, a good couple of weeks for Angelo Rodriguez on the training field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, um, look, I understand why Adrian brought him on against LAFC. Uh, and as we've already said, he made a good impact. But I did think to myself, isn't it a shame that
1: Minnesota don't have another option? Yeah.
0: Um, and I'm sure that'll be addressed in the offseason.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I think that it's nice to be going, I think we've talked about this before, uh, obviously there's, there's playoffs, which could be tremendous. I think, you know, Minnesota with, with home field advantage, I would like against anybody at this point. Um, but it look, you, you know, you it's hard to not even start looking again towards how you need to get better because that's what teams have to do. You can't just say, Hey, we got here and now we're going to play with the hand we've got. You've always got to look to get better and going into the last off season when it was like, well, you know, they need help at center back and fullback and defensive mid and, Probably on the way, you know, like there was just so many things to address and there's a lot that's up in the air, but so much has been addressed to sort of be able to look at a team. I mean, as a soccer fan, I think if you look at your team and you're like, what you really need is like a nine, like, just like you need that. That's a great thing to have your team want to go out and get because it's Mm -hmm. exciting and it's fun. And this is a piece that is going to be, uh, you know, presumably it's the kind of, it's a, as Adrian never tires of saying, it's why they get paid the most money. It's like scoring goals is the hardest thing to do. And if you go out and you get that right, and you've got the rest of the team that you've got right now, that's that's a force to be reckoned with. But it is true that right now, with Mason is a great option, and he will continue to be a growth option going forward. Great to come off the bench, great to spot in certain, start in certain spots, depending on the matchup. Angelo doesn't seem like the long-term answer. Um, Abu Dunladi is also sort of a question mark still, um, has good games, has not great games. You know, it's, it's sort of up in the air with him. So they don't really have that, that alternative to put in there.
0: No, which is why they were delighted with the form that Mason Toy was in prior to this poor stretch that he's been on now. Um, Mason's just got a lot to learn. And I think, you know, when I saw everybody, not everybody, that's a stretch too far. When I saw certain people suggesting that he should be called up for the U.S. national team, I thought, for goodness sake, yeah. <laughs> let's just stop. Yeah. Stop putting the pressure on the boy just let him go and play yeah so a couple of individuals um from the the national media in this country um i think perhaps need to do a little more research i think they perhaps need to look into things a little more um other than just suggesting after a couple of good games that a a young center forward should be called up into the national team that is absolutely preposterous yeah and mason toy has a lot to learn don't get me wrong we've seen glimpses of what he could be um but again, next season I wouldn't have him as the main centre forward either. Yeah, um, have him playing behind somebody, have him as the second option, maybe even the third option. Um, just don't put the pressure on him. Um, and I, I just now having said that, if if he showed an element of being a little more of a complete player,
1: then of course I'm saying right, put him in. Great. He's sure. fine. He's good to go. There's preseason. There's all kinds of stuff that to come. You could see him. I mean, he's young. He could put on a lot of, of muscle mass. Well, know, to 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 it. Is. I mean, it, that can make him a much more effective player. Just that. Yeah. You know, because his 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 awareness has gone up a lot. Um, it, I think there's a physical element of just the hold-up play, things like that. He improves that. Like, he instantly raises his, his cachet. So.
0: Of course he does. And, 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 look, there's no doubt this will be a, a huge offseason for Mason Toy. He has to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I just, um, it's just a shame that Minnesota don't have a major outlet going into the playoffs. Um, But having said that, that that doesn't mean that there aren't possibilities in front of goal because we saw Angelo Rodriguez get into enough opportunities and enough space against the LAFC to suggest that chances will be created. That's never been a problem for this team this Mm. season is creating chances. Yeah. Um, and, And I just wonder... Eventually, one of those chances will find the back of the net. And, and uh, I wonder if Angelo Rodriguez does find the back of the net in Seattle, should he play. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that'll do for his confidence and his sharpness moving forwards. Um, any centre-forward will tell you around the world, Steve, what, when you've not scored a goal... Uh, for such a long time, the goal seems like it's about as narrow as possible. But when yeah. you are scoring, they're as wide as possible.
1: So right. well, and you're looking at you know over the course of the season, there's that thing of you know how do you how do you get a guide around into form you know for a stretch run. At this point, you know after this week, it, this is the this is the this is the playoffs. You you need to get hot for three games, three four games. You know right, like like depending um, on the team and you know how many how many games you're gonna have to play right, but. That's all you need. This yeah. is this is a different format this year. where We don't really know exactly what's going to happen with how the format plays out, which is exciting. Um, shifting to something else, I think there I think there are fewer things more former attacker about Adrian Heath uh, than the sort of he, the delicate, sensitive way he. And rightly so handles forwards going through gold droughts, you know, as he's saying, they they need to see the the net, you know, like he needs time. This is what he needs. And then the way he refers to everything Vito does as his job, just his job, his job. It's like any impressive Vito Monona save. He's like, well, OK, that, maybe that was a little bit good. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like it is very <laughs> you played you played as a forward, didn't you? <laughs> um, but that aside, Vito has really been on another level the last couple of weeks. I yes. mean, it's he is stepping his game up at the time when you need to step your game up and, you know, b- between that double save against SKC and then just all of his efforts, I mean, to do the things obviously he is paid to do, but to do them very well and then be the leader he is on the team has been tremendous.
0: I think I saw a number that suggested he had saved 87% of shots. Yeah, I saw that too. On goal. Um which last is couple, yeah, uh, astronomical over the astronomical last whatever normal number. Yeah. Um I'll, look, what I'll do here is I'll agree with Adrian, but also a, a tip of the hat has to go to Vito as well, because a lot of the saves that Vito has made over the, the course of the last few weeks against Kansas City, against Portland, against LAFC, they are saves you would expect him to make, but it's the ones where he has had to readjust his body mid flight or the ones where he has had to tip over the bar, or the secondary save against Kansas City as you may he has no right... To save that bucio effort towards goal yeah. because he's just pulled off a great save against Graham Zusi. yeah he's still on the deck just gets himself up in time and just flings an arm <laughs> up um, yeah that, that that is out of this world that save is and and it's just the kind of form he's in at the moment you know he really really is um, having a fine um, part of of this season um, but it, let's just hope he continues on this trajectory into the postseason um Look, there's a lot of question marks uh, as to what's going to happen next season. Um, yeah. and Maybe we don't need to, to get into it, but you, you're speaking about Mason toy and saying that last year, you know, a lot of players are playing for contracts. I think it's the same every year. Yeah. There's a lot of players on this team that are playing for contracts sure. next season as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether people like it or not, Vito Manone is probably one of those players because, you know, he's had a contract at Reading. Um, I personally think he's done more than enough here to suggest that, that an offer should go his way now, whether or not they can come to terms on on an agreement is another thing. Yeah. Um, let's hope so. Um, but I I I think that there are a lot of players on this roster uh, that are are fighting for for contracts again, and uh, moving into the postseason uh, once again presents another opportunity for them.
1: Yeah, it's always you know you always have to balance different needs and 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 where you can get value and where you spend i mean obviously veto the, the the player salaries just came out i think he's something like the third highest paid yes he is, goalkeeper yeah. he takes up an international spot um that was a risk coming into the season to say we're going to pay this goalkeeper who hasn't played an mls this much money um based on his experience we're going to use up an international slot on him um now those things can be changed with green cards etc and sure. things like that um there, there's ways to change some of that that stuff but we've seen with Colorado over the last several years. If you paying your goalkeeper the most money on the team, is not always a path to success. You know, especially as goalkeepers age, and then suddenly it's like you have you have a lot of money invested in a player who is not changing the game on the pitch. Aside from saving, if all you're doing is saving those shots, you're not doing anything going forward. So it can put you in a precarious position in terms of where you invest your money. As Adrian, again, I'm going to say again, this is why strikers are paid the most money, not goalkeepers usually.
0: Yes, but also that is a very different situation. Well, yeah, Howards. okay, I know.
1: I'm not. I'm, I'm saying there's yeah. a lot of extenuating circumstances to that. But if you're looking down the road at like what you invest in different positions and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Tyler Miller is making something like seventy-five thousand dollars or something huh. like that. So again, it's like where do you find the value? You know, like w- w- where do you where do you what's the value proposition for for different positions? So I fully feel like Manone has justified spending a good amount of money on
0: him. Oh yes, and, um, and look, but for, do for, you do
1: that? That's the question. Uh,
0: look for, for me if I was in charge, I'd offer him the contract yesterday. Yeah. Um, but it, it's. Um, it, it, first of all, it's not as simple as that because he's still technically under contract at Reading. Yeah, well. right. So, yeah, yep. Um I um, uh, it it it's so it's such a, a different scenario being a goalkeeper because, like you said, what what's the value that you put on a goalkeeper? Imagine Manone not making those saves that he has done over the course of the last couple of weeks. Minnesota wouldn't have claimed yeah. what five <laughs> points from the last right. three games be out of the playoffs. Exactly. Um, right. so goalkeepers are, 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 they are worth their weight in gold. Um, but it's ultimately down to whatever the club is, whatever the goalkeeper is to, to prove, uh, and to, I guess, assess the, the worth of the goalkeeper worth their
1: weight in goal. Yes. Oh, I'm definitely going to use that <laughs> somewhere. Uh, let's talk briefly about that Vela goal. um, you really can't defend him square, can you? I think that was <laughs> I think that was Wilfred Mwenebe Tarrat's mistake. Is you know going into that game and you see a defender and you're like, well, I want to you know you sort of splitting the difference, right? Like he sort of squares him up, and then Vale gets it to his left foot, and you can see, I think it's Boxel rushing in to try to cover that left foot, and then he just, I mean, he shaped it so. I mean, that was a that was a shot it was un, ridiculous, right? It was, it was, and it was great. You have to push him to that right foot. I thought it was interesting uh, looking back at the game. If you look at. Just after, after after Boxy scored, they had to defend in another attack by Vela, and you see Boxy tracking back, and he doesn't even go into his right at all. Mm. He holds up on his left, forces him to his right, and Vela puts it into the side netting. And I'm like, that's what you got to do. <laughs> like, just don't let that left foot come out. <laughs> Correct,
0: but he has scored, I think, it's seven goals with his right foot this season yeah. as well, so he's not bad on that one either. Well,
1: yeah, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. I know <laughs> what you mean.
0: But look, and, and see, this is the thing, though. So, Wimbledon um I don't, look, he, he needs to be tighter, no doubt, but the worst thing you can do going up against someone like that is approach them and then stop and be flat-footed. Yeah. Because you, you've got to, if your momentum's behind you, you've got to go, and you've got to stick your, with, with this being the angle that, that Vela was at, you have to stick your right leg out to, to stop the ball from, from finding the, the net or going anywhere near it. But at the same time, the counter-argument to that is if you go and you start jockeying, um, you you can show them t- to the right foot, but then he could cut back in on his left foot, and then back <laughs> right. It's yeah. It, it's so difficult um, to defend somebody like him. Um, I remember chatting with Michael Boxall about players like this a while ago, and he mentioned um, Sebastian Jovinko was was very similar because he was so good with both feet. Mm-hmm. All you can do is is stand up with your right shoulder. If you're right-footed, your right shoulder closest to the player and you've just got to jockey. You've got to jockey and wait and wait and and wait for the appropriate moment because they they have to move at some stage because they've got to go either side of you. And you have to be comfortable enough to either go in with, as I said, if you're a right-footed defender, your right shoulder's closest to the player. You can make a challenge with your right foot if they go to to their right but if they go to their left you have to be comfortable enough to either open up your body and make a challenge or spin as quickly as you can to make the challenge again Yeah, it, it's such a precarious position for a defender to be in but this is why Adrian Heath is spot on by saying this this is why the players like this make the most money because they score goals and they they have this this sense of the game that not a lot of players do um Carlos Velo is a, a, a joy to, to watch he really is um and as I said, I think Mwembe Tarat did okay in the situation, but he did the worst thing in the world, in my opinion, where he stopped and he was flat-footed mm-hmm. because he couldn't do any of, of what, I, what I just suggested.
1: Yeah, um, he ended up kind of leaning back on, to defend the shot, you know, he sort of, he was sort of like stretching and, and, and kind of off balance at that point. Because yeah, right, he, he caught up and then he sort of stopped.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have to make a challenge at some stage; otherwise, they're just going to get closer and closer to goal, or they're going to execute something like Carlos Vela did. Yeah, uh,
1: let's uh, speaking of Michael Boxer, let's talk about his header, uh, which was one of those plays where he was so open. I was like, he has to be offside; like he's got to be offside. But it was just, it was just a really beautiful bit of of execution, which I think we don't always get in soccer. I think it's, it's something that I've sort of. Uh, gradually, I mean, come to peace with, it's not exactly right, but you know, coming from, you know, the NBA, the NBA is sort of all about repeated execution of exactly what you want to do. You bring the ball up the court, it happens every 30 seconds. Um, you have a play that you want to execute, you know, sometimes there's freelancing, but it's like, you, there's sort of, you try something, there's something that comes out of it. If it works, you do it again. If they stop it, you have an alternative to it. You sort of, sort of this regimented, um, you know, the game flows, obviously, unlike, you know, football or something like that, or baseball, which is sort of stepwise. Um, but I've come to appreciate in soccer, how there's a lot more like just sort of banging your head against something for a while until you find a way through, you know, like when a, when a free kick goes in sometimes and there's just bodies colliding and you know, this kick is coming from so far out. How can you know, you know, you're sort of putting it into a space that you hope a player is going to be in. And then you see a play like that with, with boxy, and you see them all lined up and you sort of see him pull off of his man and then take a step, you know, back upfield or downfield, like and I guess upfield is what I want to say there, mm. back towards his end and then dive in between Palacios and I don't know who, I can't remember who his man was who was defending him, but there's this clear moment where the defenders are like, you got him. You got like they. They don't quite nail it. And He's right there on that line, and then he's up in the air, and the ball goes in. And it was it was like a play. I mean, it was it was a, a called play, which is what you get out of out of set pieces. But you don't always see it. And so you know, it's one of those things where when those things happen, I think of also that the, the goal that uh, Minnesota United conceded with Abobasi and and Rodriguez. Right, that was one of those ones where the ball comes in, and a just. Bang, just like redirected it in, and Rodriguez gets the goal after Boxy sort of holding him outside. Because- oh, uh, Fernandez, oh, Fernandez, you meant sorry. Not yeah, Fernandez, yeah. yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was thinking of <laughs> Brian Rodriguez, right? So anyway, so Fernandez, right? So that was one of those examples of, again, it's just this momentary thing of like, it just all goes right and it looks, it goes so well, it almost looks wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I think a lot of the crowd are sort of expecting the flag to go up. Or yeah. The, you know, VAR <laughs> to say it's offside, but yeah, just very, very well-timed by Michael Boxall. And um, it's very clever, actually. I don't think he's gotten the credit he deserves for this because he, straight away, he knows he's just got to get something on it because the goalkeeper has come out as well. And yeah. if he gets anything on it, the goalkeeper's got very little chance of getting something um, on the ball unless it's straight at him. Um, questionable from from the goalkeeper, in my opinion now, from, mm-hmm. from Cisniego. I must admit, I've not been impressed with him when we've seen him play. Um, which is a strange one, because he's come from Real Sociedad in, in La Liga. You know, he's a <laughs> good goalkeeper. But um, I don't think he's played well against Minnesota. Um, and... Uh, uh, Michael Boxall took full advantage of of his positioning um, and and making the run as you as you um, so eloquently explains um, and and he just got the 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 deftest of touches on it yeah and that's all it needed and it found the back of an empty net
1: yeah he didn't have to redirect it to the no nope. the far post or anything like that it just glances off his head it he goes sort of flat in a line right into the top of the goal just redirected away from the goalkeeper and yeah. It's in. yeah his second goal this season it so is he's becoming quite the uh, the goal scorer. <laughs> I'm sure you'd love to hear that. (laughs) One of my favorite guys on the team, just to talk to. Just uh, just a real down-to-earth guy. He is, um, yes, he's an intriguing character. Yeah. Yeah. pretty good guy. (laughs) All right, let's talk about Decision Day. All right, Decision Day, Mm. I wanted to say on Decision Day overall, MLS doesn't do everything well. We can admit that we've talked about some things that we don't think they do well, but I think honestly having every team in the league play at the exact same time on the final day of the season is one of the things they definitely do well. And it's very exciting. Like aside from the fact that I also host a fantasy podcast and you have to schedule <laughs> at, at 2 PM central time. I'm just going to be like, okay, I have to look at 24 teams rosters <laughs> to figure out who's playing. Um, but it's very exciting. It's, um, it's going to be carnage, isn't it? I know. <laughs> it's um, kind of fun because this is that moment. And this is the first time Minnesota United has ever really had skin in the game on this mm-hmm. day, has not won on decision day uh, the past two years, uh, have had the chance to play spoiler um, before, but have not done so. Uh, this is, you know, it's going to be one of those things where the game's going to be going on. You're going to be looking at the other scores. You're going to be trying to, you know, I'm gonna be in Seattle watching the game and also you know, with an eye on LA Galaxy's game mm-hmm. and, and RSL's game. So let's talk about those, those stakes, just to outline them for everybody who might be listening. Uh, if MNUFC win, second seed, they've locked up the second seed, uh, that simple. If MNUFC draws, they also lock up the second seed, um, provided that, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yes. Uh, because Seattle, they're tied on points and tied on wins and Minnesota United has a better goal differential. If MNUFC loses in Seattle, uh, the Loons can still secure the second seed if one of RSL or LA Galaxy draw or lose, I believe. Um, so both RSL and LA Galaxy have to win. Yes, they do. For them to, for, for, to overtake. Um, let's talk about those two teams briefly before we get into the, the game in Seattle. How do you assess the Galaxy's chances in Houston and RSL's chances in Vancouver? Two road games, obviously, and two teams who aren't really playing for anything other than to be spoilers.
0: Yeah, um, let's not forget though um, this exact decision day last year, LA Galaxy was supposed to get something against Houston Dynamo and didn't. Yeah, um, which ultimately screwed up their their season. Um, I uh, are, are they at um, StubHub Center? Are they or a Dignity? Sports Health Park, are they? They're in Los they're, Angeles, are they?
1: I think they're in Houston. If they're in
0: Houston, then that becomes a little more difficult because I'll even now... I'll double check,
1: but I'm pretty sure that they Even are
0: now... In, yeah, they're in Houston. Well, even now in September, that can be a, a rather unpleasant trip. Yeah, and, I'm sure. And hot and humid. <laughs> and... Um, oh, I guess we're in October now, aren't we? Um, even, even still, it's uh, it's not an easy place to go. And and look, it's, it's interesting, to see because we were talking about Houston's earlier four, on...
1: Today, the forecast is for 94 degrees in Houston. <sighs> so, um, you know, it's... On Sunday it'll be 91, but it's it's still going to be pretty humid, I'm sure. So it's just wretched, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> no, just no chance. Um,
0: but my my point is, is that um, we spoke earlier on about Minnesota United players playing for contracts at the end of last season. Uh, absolutely will be the case with both Houston Dynamo and Vancouver Whitecaps, mm-hmm. who have both had woeful seasons for the standard that they held themselves to. Um, so they'll be absolutely wanting to to play spoiler. Um, it's going to be interesting, um, but I, I could absolutely see there being
1: some major slip-ups on Sunday for sure. Yeah. So all of that said, I think I think Minnesota can go and get a point from Seattle at least. I think
0: so as well, um, I, I, and I, I'm really intrigued as to what Adrian Heath is going to do. Yeah. Um, Great question. I, if it was me in charge, I would do the exact same approach that we saw at LAFC, and I would have the five at the back. I would have um, Opara. And box all either side of Lawrence Olam. Yeah. So then when, Lowe, when Lawrence Olam gets the ball, he can actually step up a little bit when yeah. Minnesota are in possession. Yep. Um, I don't want to overcomplicate things, but I, I genuinely think that could provide another body in the, in the midfield as well
1: when needed. Um, sure. That almost, it could almost become sort of a 4 3 3 look, right? With Lowe. Correct. Like, correct. In the sense that, like, he, he can fall back to a back line of three there. But, if necessary he can step up into that midfield and then you sort of add him into the midfield.
0: Like so. I said, just just when when Olam has the ball, I would just say just step. If you have the ball, just step and, and, and survey and look and look what what's available. And, and what you would expect in that system would be the the wing backs to be available. I would play Muimbe Tarat because I think he's better going forwards. I think Roma Metinier, obviously we've seen him all season, he's fine. He'd do whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> but then um you know the 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 three central midfielders I would play would be would be Dotson, Alonso, and, and Gregish, yeah. Um who could then very well easily be a shorter option as well. And I would have Quintero playing off of Rodriguez.
1: Yeah. So, um, and Dotson provides you as, as sort of maybe the most forward midfielder. I mean, we've we've seen his ability to score from distance. Mm-hmm. You know, he can get into those those spots. You know, uh, so yeah, I like it. But but also remaining as, as soon as that ball goes,
0: um, or when they're in um, a situation where they're defending. Keep the three centre halves as solid as possible, um, and as I said, have the fullbacks come back as quickly as possible as well. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I wouldn't say almost um, expect to concede possession, but you obviously you won't have as much possession with that formation. But um, I, I genuinely think that could work.
1: I could also see a four three three working again. Um, I was going to say, do you think we see the four three three? I'm curious about that. Me. I'm curious about that because. Um, Seattle plays a 4-2-3-1. Yes, they do. It seems like the 4-3-3 has worked best for us against teams that also play a 4-3-3 because mm-hmm. then you don't give up that battle in the midfield. So
0: You have an extra man in there, yes. So,
1: so I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm still skeptical with the 4-3-3 despite its recent, huh. recent successes. Um, But I don't know. You know, I could totally, I could be totally wrong about it. I feel like it's matched up well against teams that play three midfielders, but against a four-two-three-one, maybe it doesn't, it doesn't do as well for us. But how do I know? I know nothing. I'm Um, excited. (laughs) It's it's going to
0: be really, really good, Steve. And I also have got to ask you, given the the celebrations that you executed after the win against Kansas City, how (laughs) if Minnesota get the result they need on Sunday in Seattle, when you're going to be in an opposition press box? Oh, I'm. How are you going to contain yourself? A
1: total. I think this is if this were I'm just formulating this right now. Cal did not prepare me for this question, so I'm trying to I'm I'm coming up with it right now. I think that as someone who is so used to failure, just as a human being, uh, (laughs) I mean, mostly sports failure. I think that just clinching the playoffs is probably going to it was probably more emotional than securing a home field game is going to be i'm gonna right. be glad to be there for the home field game but like you know I, it was just that thing of like i this could it could still not work it could still not happen and now we know we're going to the playoffs one way or another it would be preferable to play a, a game at allianz field and that's gonna be a tremendous experience but i don't know i think it's gonna be a little bit like i'll be i'll be happy for it to happen um but i i think i think i'll be able to restrain myself
0: that that's probably i would say uh, the best thing to do in away there, territory. There might be a little <laughs>
1: fist pump, just a little, mm-hmm. little, little fist pump. That's Even about if it. If there's
0: a 90th minute winner or something, you know.
1: Man, I, okay, I'm not gonna make any promises, <laughs> and I'm not gonna have a live cam on me, so you're not gonna. find out what actually happens. <laughs> I, I pride myself on being a professional away from home, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep it tight. Um, GoPro on sleeve, then basically. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, last thing about this uh, that I wanted to say. Um, I mean, this is exactly this is exactly the game you get. Ike O'Para and Ozzy Alonso for. Oh, this is, and that's, I'm excited about that in the abstract. It's not like I'm going to see it exactly, but to know, to have heard the stories about how Ike conducts himself on game days and things like that. Like, I just, I know that that locker room is going to be locked down and just buzzing quietly. Mm -hmm. Like leading up to games. And that's going to be, that's just, that's an exciting thing. You've got, you went out and you got these guys. This is what they're there for. And then this is the kind of game that you got them for. And that's, that's just kind of fun.
0: It's going to be an exceptional day. And finally, it's Minnesota United's turn to sort of, I guess, walk down the red carpet, if you will, and and no longer be a bridesmaid in terms of, you know, um, watching other teams go into the playoffs. Um, But uh, it's going to be amazing to see the reception Ozzy Alonso gets as well. Um, I am wondering if the, ECS uh, are going to do um, going to do a T4 of some sort. wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Um, and also, I guess I'll take the opportunity as well, Steve, to, to plug our pregame show on, on Big FSN. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a 50-minute pregame show. Nice. Where we're going to have uh, Adrian Heath. We're going to have Manny Lagos. We're going to have Ozzy Alonso all come on. We're going to be on the pitch almost like... Um, what NBC do for the Premier League, you know, oh, sort excellent. of pitch side, and, and the three of us, myself, Jamie, and Kendra, will be sort of guiding you through the pregame show. Lots of talk on on what is going to be a momentous day for Major League Soccer, and and so much to talk about, and it's going to be riveting. It really, really is, and I, I can't wait to get to Seattle. And and you see, I, I hear the the upper bowl is going to be open for them as well, so yeah. I think fifty five thousand plus is expected. Nice. Um, it just reeks of a big, big day. Yeah. I can't wait.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I, uh, sadly, I will not be watching your pregame show since I'll be at the stadium probably and doing various things. I do enjoy watching the pregame show when I'm at home and we're doing uh, an away game and I can sort of, you know, turn it on a half hour beforehand and watch you guys uh, chat and sometimes have that moment of going like, oh, those are the people I work with, but, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little surreal, you know, to sort mm-hmm. of be watching, you know, like suddenly I'll be like, oh yeah, this is like a pro broadcast. These people are all professionals they are doing an excellent job. And I'm like, I-, I also just see them around around the office. So it's kind of fun. You know, we do what we do. That handsome, (laughs) handsome Cal Williams. Um, Face for radio. Yeah. Thanks Thanks for joining us for the 76th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is the regular season finale on Decision Day against Seattle Sounders FC in Seattle at CenturyLink Field. That game kicks off at 3 p.m. Central Time like every other damn game (laughs) that day. It's insane on Fox Sports North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Interess. Apologies as always to Richard Wagner and remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.